0: You may be seated. Easter shouts hope to the world. It's not the type of hope that is uh, wishful thinking that maybe we'll just change a little bit of this and a little bit of that and the world will get better. The hope of Jesus, it, it, we believe it changes everything. It, it's a hope that, that we can anchor our lives on and that's the vision here at FCC. And Easter's the perfect time to share it. You're not here by accident. Some of you are like, I know I'm not here by accident, but the family said if I came to church, then I could go to dinner later, okay? And, and that's why I'm here. And you may feel that way a little bit, but all joking aside, I do not believe you're here by accident. If you have been invited by someone, maybe uh, even the person you're sitting next to, I, I believe they care for you. They love you. They, they've been praying for you. Maybe you've come here today and you've not been invited by anyone. You've just kind of been drawn here today, uh, wanting to honor God, curious about Jesus. You're not here by accident. Here's the message for you. God loves you so much so that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross so you could have life. And you're going to hear about that opportunity today. It's not by accident. And we must claim eternal life through Christ. I don't know if you know this, but death has 100% success rate among us. Happy Easter. Just let that set in for a little bit, right? But we need to be comfortable with death because it's real and Jesus has overcome it. The reason we celebrate today so much is death no longer has to bring fear to those who believe in Christ. But so often we want to ignore death. We don't really know what to do with death. The older we get, the more uneasy we are with death at times. I find it interesting how my daughter just has a better understanding of the death than I do, and she just turned nine. Uh, this week we were eating breakfast together. They didn't have school on Thursday and Friday, so Thursday morning I just took it a little slower. Her uh, daily and I were eating breakfast, and out of the blue she said, Dad, I get to sing the national anthem at the Cardinals baseball game. We get to go right on the field where the Cardinals play. It's going to be awesome. I said, man, that's great. She said, Dad, you cannot come down there with me, though. I said, that's okay. I'm excited for you. We'll be there uh, to hear you sing. A little bit later, she says, You know, they've got someone that's dying. And I was like, I wonder what she's talking about. This is gonna be an interesting conversation. They've got someone that's dying, Dad. And I said, Are you talking about Albert Poolhole? She says, Yeah, he's dying. I said, No, Daly, he's retiring. <laughs> she goes, No, he's dying. I said, no, he's retiring. No, Dad, he's dying. And you know what? Daly's right. No matter if you're dreaming of a job, maybe you're in high school or college, maybe you've started your first job, maybe you've been retired for a few months now, the reality is no matter how you fit in that scheme of reality, whether you're a super uh, athlete or or you're uh, uh, someone who uh, just has different dreams and aspirations, we are all dying And that's why Easter is so important to get a hold of. It's just not something uh, to gather together and share eggs and and go to Grandma's house. It is to celebrate that Jesus has overcome death. And that's why we've been journeying on the road to the cross. Because as Jesus fixed his eyes on Jerusalem and headed to the cross, he was going there all the time for you and I. So we wouldn't have to face death forever. Last week, Dee led us through the road to the cross uh, during the triumphal entry, and, and it, it had more excitement and passion than any Final Four event ever, any uh, baseball World Series. Uh, the excitement that the people had when Jesus, the Savior, came into the town, and his passion as he focused on the cross was like nothing else ever seen. They cried, Hosanna, save us. They wanted to be saved from the Roman government, but we know now he was Heading to the cross to save us from our sins. And he heads into Jerusalem that last time. And he goes into the temple. And you can see his passion. He sees the money changers cheating his people out of of their life savings at times. Making a mockery of of coming to worship. And he throws the temple uh, uh, money changers tables over. And then he goes into a different time with the disciples. And he turns the Lord's Supper into what we know as communion from the Passover that we're going to celebrate in just a few moments. During that time, he announces to the 12 disciples that one of them would betray him. And they're thinking what all of us would think now, oh, we would never do that. And then he turns to Peter and says, hey, you're going to deny me. And Peter says, no, I would die for you. As they share in the Lord's Supper, and he shares betrayal and denial with them, before they move on to the garden. You know what they did? You may miss this looking through the Gospels. They sang together. In the moment of intense passion and transition, as Jesus heads to the cross, he says, let's... Let's just sing a praise song together before they went into the garden. And then they went to the garden. Jesus says, hey, my soul is so full of sorrow. It's about to the point to kill me. Would you just pray with me for a little bit? And he goes on a little further to the garden. If you know the story, they fall asleep, and he comes back. Can you not even stay awake for a while? And they fall asleep again. And he goes in a little further to pray with his father. And he says, Father, if at all possible, take this cup for me. And he's praying to the father. And the Bible says... Uh, Sweat with drops of blood mixed in because of the great pressure that his body was under uh, fell down across his face and across his body. And he says, Father, if this is all possible, don't let this pain, uh, don't let this cup fall on me, but not my will, but yours be done. You know why he was so intense about that? Because he knew the pain of the cross. Not just the, the Roman physical pain that was going to be put on him. And the Romans were good at causing pain. He knew then for certain that the pain of our sin was going to be intense. And you know what the Bible says? That he followed the will of God and he became sin for us. We know Jesus is perfectly God and he's completely human. But for a time on the cross, he became sin. That's how intense this moment was. He says, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And at that moment where blood was flowing down his face in the form of uh, sweat, um, it became even more intense because the soldiers came into the garden. They pushed into the garden, and they were with some of the priests and the leaders, and Judas was with them as well. And he he goes to the point where he sees Jesus, and he gives Jesus that kiss of betrayal. And Peter, not wanting to deny him, takes out a sword and cuts off uh, one of the ears of the soldiers, and Jesus healed him right there. But Judas was willing to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. I wonder what it takes for us. I wonder how often we're like Peter. I'm going to make the stand and not deny you here, but I'll deny you in this moment. And Judas betrays him so he will stand trial. He was railroaded in the trial. The Bible tells us that they made up testimonies about him. Uh, I love how the way the gospel puts it, it says they couldn't keep their story straight. We've all seen that happen in life where someone was trying to make something happen in their favor, but they couldn't keep their story straight, and they got frustrated. Uh, The high priest at this point, once he sees the trial uh, going nowhere, and it's a messy trial, he he pulls out a a, a last-ditch effort, and he says, Jesus. Who do you say you are? Uh, People say you're the Messiah. Uh, People have said you've said you're the Messiah. Who, Who do you say you are on trial? And Jesus says, I am who you say I am, and I will show you plainly who I am. Jesus, after being silent for so long, under the authority of the high priest, says, I am. And the high priest, under great passion and a little bit of a a show, he tears his garment. I don't know how much, but he tears it. I, I think to get attention of everyone, he says, now, you've heard what he said. We don't need any more witnesses. He needs to die. But the priest did not want the death of Jesus to be on their hands because if the, the, the Jewish people would want Jesus back and they killed him, it would look bad for him. So they handed him off to Pilate and said, Pilate, you need to, you need to do something with him. He, he's, he's coming against the government. You need to put him to death. Pilate says, I don't see anything wrong with him. He kind of interviews him twice, and Jesus doesn't say anything. And so Pilate hands him off to Herod, and Herod says, I want to look at this guy. Maybe he'll do a miracle for me. Wouldn't you love to see a miracle of Jesus? And Herod is trying to tempting him to do a an miracle, and Jesus just does nothing Herod says, oh, I'll be done with this. This man's innocent. I don't want anything to do with it. So he sends him back to Pilate. And Pilate, not knowing what to do because he's got the pressure of the Jewish leaders, he's got the pressure of the people, he says, I know what I'll do. I will put before them two men, one to be released and one to be crucified. And surely they will have me release to them Jesus and not this other guy that was a terrible guy, Barabbas. He was an insurrectionist and a murderer, and he says, who do you want released? And they said, release Barabbas. We want Jesus to be crucified him. Uh, Crucify him. Crucify Jesus. And they chanted louder and louder, and that's what they planned to do. They set out to crucify him. The same crowd that had once cried Hosanna is now yelling crucify him, and crucifixion is brutal. It often is preceded by a flogging where one of the execution team would take a whip, not just any whip, it was a... A cat's tail whip, which meant it had nine different whips attached to one handle, and each of the whips would have broken bone and broken stone that were sharp. And they would take the whip and they would uh, whip it across the body, and it would go across the back and and lash around and and rip uh, flesh from the rib cage and the backbone of of the prisoner. And they would do that 40 times. Well, actually, 40 minus one because it, often if they did it 40 times, the person would wind up dead before they get to the cross. Jesus endured the beating, and then they put the cross, member on his body, and they told him to walk to the hill. And he set his eyes on there, dying for your sins of mine. He could have called thousands of angels this whole time, but he says he's carrying the cross. His body became weak because he was fully human, and he uh, buckled under the weight of the cross. And so they told Simon, in the crowd, carry it. And he carried it up the hill. And you know how the rest of the story goes. Most of you do. They crucified him. You know what that means. It just says they crucified him in the Bible. But, but that's the part where they took spikes and they put it in his wrist, not his hands. Because if you think about it, if you put a spike in someone's hands, they're going to pull it through the ligaments and the flesh and they're going to be free. But they, they would put it right the spike right underneath the, the hand in the wrist and you couldn't pull it through. And then they took both of his feet, one over the other, and they, they put the, uh, the spike between uh, both of his uh, feet in the heel area, one spike through both. And he was crucified. The idea, crucifixion, made someone suffocate. Because for every breath, you had to pull yourself up by those spikes to breathe. And Jesus did that from 9 a.m. till 3 p.m. He was breathing under crucifixion. And then he said, it is finished. Notice in the text... Look for yourselves. He doesn't say, I'm finished. I'm overwhelmed. He says, it is finished. What that means is that it was complete. The moment that my sin and your sin fully uh, enveloped his body, he says, it is finished. It is complete. I've done what I'm supposed to do. And then he says, into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. And he died. And the whole world went black. And then soldiers confirmed his death. If they would still be breathing... And it was time to go home. They would break their legs so they could no longer breathe. But Jesus was already dead. So they took a spear and rammed it up in, into a side. And, and they pulled it out. Blood and water came out signifying that his heart had ruptured. And blood around the sack of the heart was available to be with the uh, water. Around the sack was with the blood. And, and it came out blood and water signifying that his heart had ruptured under the weight of the cross. Not so much I think the physical pain of the cross but the weight of your sin and mine. And he was dead, fully dead. The Bible says they borrowed a tomb from a man. It was a brand new tomb. No one had ever used it. I love the idea, this idea that they borrowed it because he only needed it for two nights. And then it, it was free to be used again. But on that third morning, before it was dark, uh, before the darkness had left, uh, the, the power of the Holy Spirit, through God's power, uh, came back into his body. And his soul was, was reunited with his earthly physical body. And he was alive. As a signifying to everyone that God has the power to overcome death and sin. And we celebrate that today. But what does it mean for you? That Jesus did all that for you. It means that you have hope to overcome death as well. That your sins and my sins can be forgiven and are forgiven. That our image can be restored. Our relationship can be restored. Currently this mirror beside me it, it is a very poor mirror. It, it's, it offers a poor reflection. Sometimes though, don't you rather have a mirror that just gives you a little bit of what you look like instead of every little detail. If I stand in front of this one, I can see that who I am, but I can't really make much out. That's okay some mornings, okay? This mirror, though, uh, goes right along with what the, the Word of God says in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says that because of sin, because of our stubbornness and our pride and our actions against God, we are a poor reflection of what we're supposed to be. We're like a dim image of our purity that we're to have in God. And that all happened because of sin, The poor reflection that you and I uh, now possess spiritually is in direct relationship to the sin that we brought into our lives when we rebelled against God. And and the more we sin, the, the more poor our image becomes. God created us in his image, and we're to be brilliant. We're to be vibrant. We're to be able to have this perfect relationship with God. But we know in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, that that sin track uh, began. And God said that I'm going to send someone to take care of this. That's Jesus. I wonder today if your life is still a poor reflection with sin all over it. And it's much messier than this. It doesn't have to be that way. Today I want to share with you three powerful truths how God restores our life, to perfect image and relationship with him through Jesus. Uh, Peter tells us about it. This is the first sermon that was ever preached, and I want to share it with you again today. Uh, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, the people were coming said, hey, what's the deal with Jesus? We, we, we've heard he raised from the dead. Why did he do that? Here, here's what Peter said. God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. Peter says this was all plan of God. With the help of lawless Gentiles, these would be the Romans, he nailed him to the, you nailed him to the cross and killed him. He's saying you, and that means you and I as well. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grips. Man, in that a loaded statement? God, uh, death could not keep him in his grip. King David said this about him. I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken. For he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praise. My body finds rest or hope. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. Uh, Peter quotes David here in those last few verses, and I'm going to share with you three things that Peter and David agree about what God does for us through Jesus. And here's the first one. He changes us from being shaken to stable. Jesus brings stability in this crazy world. I don't know if you've noticed it, but people are afraid right now. You may have come here today and you don't feel any fear. You're around loved ones and family members and fear is not real. But if you leave yourself alone very long and you're not focused on God, fear rushes in. Worry comes upon us. Uh, One of the things that sin brings real quickly is fear. Fear of this and fear of that. What if? And we're shaking so quickly. People are nervous right now if you've noticed about the economy and inflation. It's real. I w- I'd be lying to you if it wasn't real. You could tell it every time you go to the grocery store. We're worried about health. We're concerned about the government. We know there's wars and rumors of wars. Uh, there are tornadoes. and You have to pay your taxes. By the way, it's tomorrow is the deadline. should be today or uh, Saturday, but we get we get until tomorrow. But we don't have to be shaken. We don't have to fear things. Look what? David says, again in Scripture, I saw the Lord, and he was always before me, for he is at my right hand, and I will not be shaken. David, before he becomes king, he's being threatened to be killed by Saul's men. He goes, I'm not shaken, for the Lord is with me. I don't know what's bringing fear into your life uh, because of sin around you, uh, but if, if you are being shaken, it is because you're not focused on Jesus' Savior. Here's the way David puts it in Psalms 18. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Uh, this text reminds me of the, the, the parable that Jesus talks about when he is teaching. He says, the wise man built his house upon the what? The rock. Uh, David declared years before Jesus was even born that the Lord is my stronghold, my rock. For years I, I live my life standing on the rock. But I have to admit to you, my life was fairly simple, uneventful. Uh, there wasn't much fearful things that come into it. Uh, I really never even lost a loved one until in my 20s to death. Uh, my life was, was very uh, blessed and calm. But then, surprisingly enough, my life was shaken to the core my first year of full-time ministry in southern Indiana. It was just about the same time of year. Um, It was during uh, Holy Week, uh, but also something amazing happened on Holy Week. I'll never forget, on April 1st, I realized I owed a lot in taxes. First time I ever paid taxes on a full-time income, and the church and I uh, had a terrible mistake that first year of full-time ministry based on my financial withholding of taxes. Namely, they didn't take any So I worked almost an entire year without any taxes withheld. Federal, state, uh, Social Security, they just didn't withhold anything. And, And I should have realized that. I was just doing ministry. They were giving me this money to do ministry. It was a great deal, you know. But we were terribly mistaken administratively. So when I began to file on my own, which I'd always done to that point, I was like, this is not good. I realized on April 1st that I had made a huge mistake, and the church did as well. And I shared the news with my wife, and it didn't go any better at that point. But I was physically sick at times. I was worried. I was fearful. What am I going to do? So I sought out an accountant, and I couldn't get into an accountant until April 11th, right before Easter that year. And he, was te- he told me within a, a matter of a few minutes that I owed roughly $5,000 in taxes. I didn't have $5,000 in ta- uh, money to pay taxes that year. And I became even more physically sick and I was fearful and I was shaken. Surprisingly enough, Easter that year was on April 15th. And I was before our church in Southern Indiana, I was leading them in communion, talking about uh, Jesus died for our sins and he came back to life and he can handle our sin and give us life. And I, I encouraged them to believe it. And in my own heart, I never told the church at this point, but in my own heart, I was shaken and, and I had to come to grips. If, if Jesus can take care of my sin and give me life after death, can he not see me through this little tax issue? Why am I so shaken? Why am I not looking to Jesus and all these things? I wonder what's got you uh, shaken and and, uh, full of fear this year, Uh, maybe developed by a mistake or literally sin, and you need to wake up and focus on Jesus. I want you to know it wasn't easy. It involved a filing an extension that year on the 16th. It involved uh, getting a, a, a little loan, and it involved a lot of savings. But within a year... We had paid off that liability and taxes, and I learned a big lesson, and so did the church. I wonder what keeps you from being stable. It might be the bad news from a doctor or a spouse. and may, Maybe you're shaken because of what your uh, children are going through or, or, or what you have been doing on your own, and, and you're, you're ashamed of it. You're embarrassed. Stand on the rock. Know that he can give you stability, but stay focused on him. Look what else the text says. Christ can change us also from being hurt to hopeful. Look what he says. No wonder my heart is glad. My tongue shouts his praise. My body rests in hope. You're thinking, uh, it's easy for David to, to be thankful. He's hiding in a cave right now as he writes this. He says, no wonder my heart is glad. People are trying to kill him. What's going on with this guy? He's like, I know God is with me. And I rest in the hope that he will be with me. You know what steals our hope often in scenarios like this is hurt. He, David could have been, became overwhelmed with this. Uh, there was hurt all uh, around his life. He knew that Saul was, was out to kill him. Uh, Jesus knew from the beginning on the road to the cross that he would die, and yet they moved forward with the hope that God had before them. I wonder what robs your hope? Maybe it's you've been hurt. You may have been hurt this morning, and you're, you're doing everything you can just to say here, uh, please turn that hurt into hope by giving it to, to Jesus. And know this, that, that there's no wonder you're glad because Jesus is on your side. I want you to be happy. Don't get me wrong, but more than that, I want you to be hopeful and holy in Jesus. It, it, it can be a day of great happiness on Easter, But know the difference between true hope and happiness. Happiness comes from when the burgers turn out on the grill later. Happiness comes from when the kids are happy and well behaved. Happiness comes when your team wins a few games this weekend. But what happens when when the burgers flop and and the kids are misbehaved and, and your team gets moved to another city? Where does your happiness come from then? I want you guys to be happy, but honestly, without a relationship with Jesus, there's going to be a day when evil and hurt comes to you so hard, happiness will be gone. Happy Easter again, you know. Happiness is, is not something that we're um, guaranteed. In fact, Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but, but focus on me. Had a guy call me on Monday. He's been reading through the gospel Mark with us at church. This gentleman has been a friend of mine for five years, really an acquaintance. He hasn't been much around church most of the time. But he's had a life change happen, and He's been reading through Mark with us. He said, Tyson, as I've been reading through Mark, I've noticed that this guy had evil spirits cast out from him by the power of Jesus. I had, saw this guy was blind, but now he sees. This other guy uh, was, was lame, but now he can walk. And he got to the point where he saw a demon-possessed man relieved of spirits. And he says... He spoke to God. He said, God, I trust that the same Jesus that made these things happen supernaturally can change my life as well. And he held on the Bible and prayed, and he felt a release, and he has peace. And what he has been hurting in, he now says that he has been freed. I believe him. Is this journey going to be easy? Absolutely not. Uh, At first service this morning, there was a a grandmother that asked me to pray for the supernatural power of Jesus to affect her grandchildren. She was weeping, and she knows medicine and doctors can't do it, but she is trusting that Jesus Christ can. I wonder what Jesus needs to change for you from hurt to hopeful. You need to give it to him. I'm so thankful that this man and this woman are, are praying on behalf of their loved ones and themselves for Jesus to change them from hurt to hopeful. There's one more thing that Jesus does. He changes us from being lost to living. I wonder how many of you feel lost right now. Being lost is a scary thing. Whether you were a child or you were an adult, when you're lost, you've got to look to someone and, and look what David says. He says, you will not leave my soul among the dead. He goes, I know that I'm not going to be left here, for you do not allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life. Jesus tells us, you don't have to guess what that is. Look what Jesus says in John 10.10. He says, I have come that you may have life to the full. Jesus knew even early in his ministry that he was headed to the cross. He said, I'm coming to give you life. Just look to me. If you're lost this morning, if you don't know the next thing to do, look to Jesus. In John 11, the very next chapter, Jesus encounters a woman at a funeral. Her name's Mary. Jesus and her are very good friends. One of Jesus' best friends, Lazarus, had just died, Mary's brother. And Jesus gets to this funeral four days after he's dead. He's been in the tomb. By this time, his body's begun to decay, and they're very hurt. They're, they're weeping tremendously. And she encounters Jesus She says, Jesus, if you'd have been here, my brother'd still be alive. And he goes, wait wait a second. He can still have life. Look what he says. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He looked right at her. Do you believe this? And she says, yes. And then Jesus went and spoke to her brother as he was dead and says, come out of the tomb. And Lazarus came out. Lazarus is a great example that we too will have life after the grave. We will come out at the command of Jesus. Do you believe that? Whether you're lost, whether you're dying, maybe you will die today. Do you believe that even as you die, while you're dead, at some point in time, Jesus will resurrect all of our bodies into new spiritual bodies and we will live? I wonder who believes that. I wonder wonder who would make that testimony. In this place, it should be pretty easy. It's Easter morning at a church. But I wonder, how many of you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life? Raise your hand. Amen. Some of you are like, man, I raised my hand. And I just did it because everybody else did it. If that's you, man, I, I, look, keep looking to Jesus. There's going to be time. Uh, there may be uh, two days from now or two years from now, somebody said, do you believe in Jesus? It's going to be a lot harder out in the world. We need to get to the point where we believe beyond a shadow of a doubt because only through that belief in Jesus Christ can our sins be forgiven and can we have life. I pray that you believe. But some of you are having trouble believing because of the sin, because of being lost, because of being hurt. And you know right now that the reality that someday you'll be dead is real and you're overwhelmed. So what do you do? What do you do when when this is your outlook on life? Uh, Many times our temptation is, man, i got to get things cleaned up. It's Easter. We're going to go to church. we got to clean up. Uh, Same aspect of what we do in life. We we try to uh, make our image look as presentable as we can, and we smear it around a little bit. Uh, Most of it's there to still be seen, but we look better than we usually do. We work hard. I wonder if that's what we do spiritually. We try to clean. We can maybe get a little of it disappear, but then the reality is, It's not actually gone, it's just transferred to our filthy rags. The Bible talks about this when we try to clean ourselves up in the Old Testament. The prophet says, the most righteous things we do, the most holy things we do, the things of greatest work we do, even the the things we do among our church family, the things you do for your family and friends, your, your greatest effort to look like Jesus and have your relationship restored are like filthy rags before God. And they're dirty. So what do you do? They ask Peter that after his first sermon. He declares who Jesus is again. Look at Acts chapter 2. Peter says, God made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, Brothers, what should we do? We, we know we're a part of this. We know our sin led him to the cross. We know that he died for us. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The, this promise is for you and your children, all those who are far off. That's you. All the way back to that corner, to that part of the balcony, to right over here. This promise is for you, all who the Lord will call. You're not here by accident. If God is calling you today, respond to him. Quit trying to clean this up on your own. God has went to the cross to have a breakthrough for your life. And you can keep working. You can get other things out. You can can have your life and, and, and try the very best. But until you give it over to God and let him have a breakthrough, your life is going to be a poor reflection. But at the moment you trust Christ and what he's going to do, it becomes amazing. There is a point where God restores your life better than you've ever known it. And I want you to know this mirror here is as clean as it can be. But when God restores your life, it is perfect. It is clean, and you have a restored relationship. If you're longing for that today, today's the day to claim it. The choir is going to come and sing another song, and we're going to have an opportunity of reflection. If today you want to claim this new, restored relationship and perfect image, it is only available through Jesus, period. We can celebrate that he's alive, but it doesn't really impact your life until you allow him to change it and to clean it. Don't let today pass by if you know you're lost, if you know you're hurt, if you know you're shaken, and allow Jesus to give you the stability that you've been looking for. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, We are messy people with great sin, with great hurt, that are shaken, that are lost, and we can find hope and life in you. Father, today, as as we come for this time, if someone here needs to repent and be baptized, I pray that they would begin that conversation with a friend or myself. Father, let's not have this day go by without more celebration and honesty with you. In Jesus' name, amen.